Hello Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. I think it's important for Pacific people to be recognised in the work they do. 15 Pacific people are recognised in the King's Birthday Honours list. Also, I think people have a very strong connection to the environment. This week marks World Environment Day. And later on... The Fijian Brewer are through to the playoffs in just their second year in Super Rugby Pacific. Super Rugby Pacific brings success for two Pacifica teams. There are 15 Pacifica people in New Zealand who have been recognised in the 2023 King's Birthday Honours List for their services in health, education, culture and arts. Paediatrician Dame Tewila Percival, who's been a strong advocate for Pacific children's health, leads the list. Caleb Fotheringham has more. Paediatrician Dame Percival is only one of four other New Zealanders to be given the title in this year's list, including former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. In Auckland, she was a founding member of South Seas Healthcare, a community health service for Pacific people in Auckland. She has also been deployed to Pacific nations like Samoa in 2009 post-tsunami and to Vanuatu in 2015 following Cyclone Pam. Dame Percival says she felt honoured to get the award after getting over the initial surprise. I think it's important for Pacific people to be recognised in the work they do, so it's really nice in that respect. Noah Salipa, who is also on the list, is to be an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to Pacific education. Mrs Salipa says she is humbled, and the award honours the other people also involved in improving education outcomes for Pacific children. I know there's so, so many other people who are doing work quietly every day helping our communities and I'm really in awe of them and that's what I mean by being humbled that there are many unsung heroes out in our community doing work for our people. She says her experience struggling in the education system after migrating from Samoa with her parents in 1962 has motivated her to help Pacifica in the classroom. I'm proud that whole experience of underachievement if you like There was that bit of courage where I realised when I became a teacher, I wanted to make a difference in terms of those people who are different in the system. It's not a one-size-fits-all in education. Mary Alway is to be a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to education, technology and Pacific and Māori communities. In 1999, she launched the e-newsletter Coconut Wireless for the Pacifica community, amassing 10,000 subscribers. It relaunched in 2014 as a social media platform with over 300,000 Facebook followers. There was a disconnect between community and government agencies. There was a disconnect between our communities. You know, there's no communication back then, so I created a e-newsletter. Teri Moana Maua Hodges has received the Queen's Service Medal for her contribution to sport and culture. She says the award was the work of many people, including her parents, who travelled to New Zealand from the Cook Islands when she was a child. I stand on the shoulders of different heroes and heroines of our people in the community and I'm very humbled by the award but it's not just me, it's so many people. She says connecting Cook Islanders was the most important thing she has done. You 
uniting Cook Islanders where our people have come over from different islands in the Cook Islands and then to come here and be united within their diversity makes me very proud. There were 182 King's Birthday and Coronation Honours recipients. It's World Environment Day this week, and World Vision is calling for more grassroots initiatives to help communities in the Pacific adapt and mitigate to climate change. With the impacts of climate change strongly felt across the Pacific, Lydia Lewis spoke with World Vision Vanuatu's Helen Corrigan, who's the Tropical Cyclone Judy and Kevin Response Manager. For Vanuatu, it's Environment Day every day. I think people have a very strong connection to the environment how they live day to day. It's a largely subsistence economy. So people grow their own food, they fish for their own, you know, like protein sources. Um, you know, they, they use the resources that are around them for house building. So whether that's um, materials from forests um, and from um, trees around about them, you know, um, palm trees, um, timber trees to help with their um, day-to-day living, their house building. So um, they are connected in every way to the environment. So yes, it's very much with them day-to-day. And, uh, and where do you fit in in terms of your role at the moment? You mentioned at the beginning that you know, you're know you leading, the res- helping with the response for Cyclone Kevin and Judy. That was a really powerful event happening, you know, two cyclones and three days. So give us a bit of an update of the ongoing response and where that's at at the moment. Initial emergency response of distributions helping um, those most at need um, with materials, with helping them to cover their, their maybe their broken down housing or damaged housing, making sure that they're sheltered from the elements, um, giving them, making sure that they uh, are, are helped with Emergency hygiene um, items, you know, um, immediately after the response, that has largely finished. We're now focusing on supporting people getting their gardens restored. So we are providing um, seeds and seedlings and tools. People rely on their gardens, like you mentioned before, that, you know, people live from the land and people grow their own crops. And I see also that a recent survey's found that 42% of people don't have enough to eat after the cyclones. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, immediately after, you know, your cyclone, people have lost their garden crops. The fruits have all been blown off the trees. So the few weeks afterwards, there are no freshly available fruits and vegetables and anything that's imported in from overseas is very expensive for many people. And the most vulnerable are those actually that live um, on in the inner peri-urban communities, so the ones that are closest to us here in, in the centre where we are in Port Vila. They are often settlement areas that rely completely on their garden produce and so it's them that this survey has targeted looking at, at the situation. And so providing them with the seedlings that they can plant, replant into their gardens, getting those crops regrow- growing um, at a time when it's 
you know, the weather we are getting, we have rain at the moment, so this is a good time for people to plant these things, means that then they will be able to get back to having them, those products. We are also, through actually the support of New Zealand government, also providing a, a food support programme, like a kitchen feeding programme for those most vulnerable communities while their gardens are uh, regrowing back. We have a daily feeding programme through a local NGO who um, is, is headquartered down in those peri-urban settlement areas. It's also, you know, something that could be empowering for communities as well because, I mean, just giving bags of rice to people, um, and may, you may not be giving them what they want, but with seeds, um, it's giving people the power to create their own food. Providing people to yes provide their own food and perhaps grow that little bit extra that they can then sell on to make money that maybe pays for school fees or could pay for you know that helping to rebuild and fix that uh, you know damaged roof or damaged um, kitchen that they you know as a result of the cyclone. So we also kind of inter with the um, intermingled with that kind of. Um, distribution of the seeds and the tools are helping some of these communities with savings groups and um, small business enterprises as well to help with that. World Environment Day, I mean it can seem a bit of a gimmick, you know, having these days, but this is, you know, the stuff that we're talking about is real, real life ways that people are impacted um, or real life you know, examples of the way people are impacted by, you know, this changing environment. So what's your message yeah. to the world or to people listening who don't have to worry about these impacts, who haven't faced such challenges before? That, you know, for people in places like Vanuatu, and I mean, perhaps you're not as close to the environment as people are here because that is their daily life. Um, of survival, um, that the environment is incredibly important. Um, we are seeing obviously these increased um, and more extreme weather events as climate is changing, and but and so the environment is changing with that, and people are having to adapt so that they can maintain um, their food sources and their food security, um, and obviously look after their families and their children for futures to come. And so the environment is incredibly important. Um, and having an environment day is a great day to remind everyone, you know, that maybe it's not as important for you, but for many people, it's key to how they survive day to day. Absolutely. And um, I didn't mention one small, um, what was it, one small One small bag. bag. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that's it. So one small bag are providing, um, they're a key local partner for us. Um, they get support, they, they get support through New Zealand government and and we've been able to supplement that with additional money through New, uh, through New Zealand funding that we've been able to get to support those most vulnerable uh, communities around the edges of the urban centre um, to help them um, make sure that their gardens um, are allowed to regrow and they are supporting with this um, daily feeding programme at the moment, making sure that these families are at least getting one healthy, good, healthy um, meal a day while waiting for their own food to regrow. An exiled Fijian human rights lawyer and former politician 
says the Great Council of Chiefs must acknowledge its past mistakes to prevent history from repeating itself. Reinstated last month by Sitiveni Rambuka, the Great Council of Chiefs had been removed by former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama over its refusal to support his 2006 coup. The Council is a pinnacle of Indigenous affairs, but has been accused of being a racist institution because of the positions taken by its membership over Fiji's four coups in 1987, the year 2000 and 2006. Lawyer and former Fiji Labour Party leader Aman Ravindra Singh says the council must reinvent itself to serve all Fijians. He told Koroi Hawkins he spoke with many chiefs over the 16 years that the council was abolished about these matters. If you purport to be the great council of chiefs, then why do you need the government to crack the whip and then you go jumping and why do you need the government to crack the whip and you go silent? The great council of chiefs, uh, for its traditional role as it is part of the uh, indigenous uh, societal structure, it should not come under government control at all. So what I have um, campaigned on and what I did uh, put out uh, in my proposal in 2018 was that the great council of chiefs should hereby become an autonomous body. Uh, It should have its own secretariat. It should have its... uh, own offices, and it should govern and rule itself. Thereby, the 14 provinces should all uh, pitch in the uh, money every year, and that's how it should run. It should have its uh, own general secretary, own president, uh, albeit whatever positions people decide, and it should not and no longer fall under legislation put in by a government. Because the danger is, today, this government has uh, reconvened them, they've called them, and they've set and met last week. Now, what if the next government comes and abolishes them again? Thereby, you will still be ruled by politicians. So if the chiefs can totally take themselves out of politics, become an autonomous body, thereby you will have a a forever lasting place uh, uh, within the indigenous structure. And if people are not happy with the chiefs, then people are able to directly tell them. But it's not for the the politicians of the day, the government of the day to say, yes, you will speak, no, you will go silent, yes, we will abolish you, you do not exist. You see, that is the danger that we have just come out of. And uh, that's what I'm hoping uh, is going to be the next step at some particular point. But if uh, the chiefs are going to resubmit themselves to the government of the day and to politicians and to legislation, then they will once again face uh, big problems. That's one. And my proposal for an autonomous body, uh, totally independent, is that chiefs must stay out of politics. You must stay out of politics uh, to break that down further. Uh, do not come under control of the politicians. Do not show your favours or, fa- or be uh, in favour with politics and politicians. Uh, uh, yes, you may decide which way your 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 clan or your tikina or your or the province will vote uh, in consultation. But people have moved on, and people can decide. It's it's for them to decide which way they want to go polit- politically. But yeah. when when the chiefs uh, have aligned themselves with politics, dirty politics. Uh, things have become very problematic. Now, I want to turn to the the Hindustani um, community in Fiji and, and the fears around this body. It's reinstatement. We heard lots of reassurances being made by Rambuka, by the chiefs, by the churches about this um, calling for, for calm and that um, people should not be fearful and that all Fijians will be treated equal. You you laid out a bit of the history there for, for the Hindustani community in Fiji. Why is this a worry now? As I mentioned, in 87, uh, in 2000, firstly, due to the very overt uh, racist uh, uh, coups and uh, what it was, uh, if you are being attacked uh, as a a people or as a community uh, and while you're citizens, 
having every right to be there, how would you feel? Obviously, you would be disgusted, you would be worried, you'd be concerned about your safety, the safety of your children, the safety of the next generation, the safety of your home. And the, and, and uh, everything was done wrongly. The coups were, were wrong, the home invasions, people were driven off their land, driven off their farms. Uh, home invasions had been uh, something which was uh, an ongoing issue. So, yes, uh, there were and there uh, still is a lot of concern uh, in the Hindustani community. And my only way forward, uh, my suggestion is simple. The rule of law must apply. Everyone must be treated uh, as equals uh, before the law, and uh, there should be no favoritism. Now that the, the, the GCC has reconvened, it is very important that the chiefs now clean their image. And the first thing to do is to make sure that they're no longer shown uh, to, to support controversy. They should no longer be supporting cool leaderships. So they should no longer be supporting uh, drastic policies which are racist in nature, discriminatory in nature. Uh, what the chiefs are going to have to do is obviously uh, have a um, total um, facelift. Uh, they need to accept certain facts. To be relevant in today's uh, society in Fiji, uh, they, they need to understand that they are not just chiefs for one community. And uh, they are chiefs for everyone in Fiji. Uh, we all uh, give due respect to the, the Great Council of Chiefs and uh, to the chiefs uh, in, in our provinces, uh, uh, in our localities. But the chiefs must also earn that respect. And it goes, it cuts both ways. Uh, while, uh, as I've pointed out, the wrongs uh, obviously cannot be wiped out. But now it is this particular moment that chiefs need to understand that they have all sorts of um, issues to deal with. And the biggest thing is to come out and say, look, our past was wrong, what we've done. I haven't heard that yet. I haven't heard that. I've heard a lot of apologies going back and forth, but I haven't heard uh, of the mistakes of 87 and 2000, uh, where, where people say, all oh, right, look, we've made a mistake, but we are now going to be embracing and we're going to serve all communities. And we also accept the fact that there are many other communities living uh, in, in, in all parts of Fiji. And this is not only about one community anymore. So what I've also proposed is, as an autonomous body, the GCC, to focus on its core uh, work, which is to look at uh, the interests of the Itauke, uh, to promote the culture, to promote the tradition, and at the same time, all matters to do with the native land uh, to be to be consulted with, uh, to be talked about with, and to be discussed with the government of the day. So if the GCC is able to reposition itself in, in that manner, a lot of uh, mindsets will change, and people will understand that the GCC is no longer what it was in the past, in 87 and 2000, and now it is all about uh, a better Fiji, and it is all about one people and, and moving forward. Now, very quickly, the, the biggest reason why Warangi Banimarama had uh, suspended and then abolished the GCC was because they were not supporting his coup. That was the sole reason. If they had supported his coup, the GCC, in, uh, in 2006, then they would not have been abolished. But you see, that's the, that's the dangerous place that they landed after supporting two earlier coups in 87 and 2000. And I think uh, the, the GCC would have learned its lesson by now and would obviously never repeat uh, uh, doing that. And the GCC should also be in a neutral position whereby uh, they, could play, they could play the right role, which would be uh, as problem solvers, as negotiators, uh, people above the, the, the dirt uh, and the mudslinging of politics. And I think that will also mean a lot more respect and a lot more acceptance. We need things to be done differently. As I said, the GCC um, needs to be shown not only to be uh, not only written on paper but it needs to act in such a way that people uh, living in the respective lands in the respective provinces understand that these are not only chiefs for one community but they're chiefs overall for everyone
The regular season of Super Rugby Pacific is done and dusted, and it was a successful final weekend for the two Pacific-based sides. Moana Pacifica snagged their first victory of the season, beating the Waratahs 33-24 in Sydney. The Fijian draw hammered the Reds 41-17 in Suva, and the weekend's other results found their way, sending them off to the quarterfinals. Christina Persico looks at how it played out. Super Rugby Pacific 2023 has its quarter-finalists and the Fiji and Rua have made history. Balakoto. Knocked back. Penny Matawalu puts it into this crowd. It's super and it's history. The Fiji and Rua are through to the playoffs in just their second year in Super Rugby Pacific. As heard on Sky Sport, it's the first time the Fiji and Rua have made the playoffs and there were celebrations in Suva. It's a dramatic turnaround from 2022 where they finished second last, scored the fewest tries and had the worst points differential. This year they scored 54 regular season tries and won 6 of 14 games, including stunning the Crusaders in round 3. Now attention moves to the playoffs. Four of the five New Zealand teams, three Australian sides and the Rua make up this year's top eight. Coach McBurn says he's happy with how the team has progressed. With these guys here who come from such a low base and work so hard to get there, you know, it's, it's massively satisfying when you sit back and see how much work these guys do to get there. And that's the highlight, I think, is where we were 18 months ago to where we are today. It's a, it's a massive highlight. McBurn said he knows the challenge is still ahead, although the final placings had not yet come in at the time. Yeah, those two names probably keep your feet on the ground pretty good. You know, Christchurch or Hamilton. <laughs> we, go, we know we're going down there and we're playing one or two. And, uh, you know, that'll, that'll get us pretty focused again when we get home, get good recovery in, uh, turn up on Monday and prepare again for whatever happens. It will be the Crusaders at a likely red and black decked Orange Theory Stadium, but the Roa have already beaten the Crusaders this year. The Crusaders had a loss to the Hurricanes in the final round, but Captain Scott Barrett told Sky Sport the defending champions will use the loss as motivation. Probably fell into their game a wee bit, uh, wrestling their strong ball carriers up high, and they got a bit of momentum around, um, I guess, the, the contact areas. So, yeah, I think um, there'll be plenty in that game heading into finals footy I guess um, you know plenty of moments there to reflect on how we could be better Kicking off quarterfinal weekend will be the Blues hosting the Waratahs at Eden Park on Friday night. The Chiefs topped the table and so they get the 8th placed side, the Reds, for their quarterfinal in Hamilton on Saturday afternoon The Crusaders Fiji and Rua quarterfinal follows on Saturday night before the Hurricanes face the Brumbies in Canberra That's Pacific Waves for today to listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So from myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far, so far.